What's up y'all hanging out at Mazunte Beach for the afternoon here to bring you another episode of the Circle Up podcast this time with 30 year corporate and investment banking veteran. And you'd think as a result of that that we would have got into how to create contracts, how to know what to invest in, how to know if a charity because he works primarily now in the uh, the the nonprofit charity space where they attach funds to companies that are making a social impact. You'd think we would have gotten into a lot of that and we didn't. And I'm stoked that we didn't because the gentleman that we speak to on the show is 73 years old, 74 years old, which means there's a massive opportunity here for us to receive the wisdom and the intergenerational mentorship of how to live a fulfilling life. How to navigate the world in a way that works, right? Somebody that's been through all of the errors, has seen all of the traps, knows what it's like to handle millions of dollars, lose millions of dollars, make millions of dollars, solve massive business challenges in the world, and then still come back to the fundamentals of what matters to be human, which is not all about money, it's about, you know, what's my purpose? What's the meaning of this life? Why am I here? Who am I? Right, these spiritual questions, these philosophical questions, and so stoked to bring it to you. Um, we get into some details about his battle with cancer, and how we overcame cancer. We get into some, some personal challenges that I'm dealing with and how to apply his philosophy and his way of looking at the world to my challenges. And hopefully within those examples, you see some solutions for yourself. You see some opportunities for yourself. You'll make a change for yourself. And so I highly re recommend checking out this episode if you feel stuck in any way, if you feel blocked in any way, if you know there's a barrier in your way, you're not sure what it is. You don't know how to get through it. You're looking for some inspiration. You're looking for some, some wisdom. Like I said, this is intergenerational wisdom. You do not want to miss it. Bill, like I said, highly successful in his career, but also in the realm of spirituality, in the realm of contribution, in the realm of mission and purpose. This man has nailed it in his life. So stoked to bring this to you. Looking forward to jumping in the water and getting off this phone. Enjoy the episode. I know I did with the one, the only, Bill Burdett. What he's trying to do is back to your point about the context and the content. Mm -hmm. You know, you're mixing the two. You want to be, have a broad context out of which to then evaluate what's happening in front of you. Yeah. Or inside you. Yeah, so what, is, what was your big takeaway from becoming nobody with Ram Dass? Let me, let me put it in the context. I, I had done a, a meditation on a program where they had you do a spiral. In other words, what is it you want to do in your life? Now assume, and imagine that having happened. Now it's happened, what's the next thing you would want to do? What's the next thing? And it kept going on and up and up and up. And at the end, they, they, they were basically saying, okay, we're going to open your casket at the end. What are you going to see there? And literally, I had the casket open and there's nothing there. Hmm. And I had this sense of, wow, that is perfect. 
There's nothing there. There never was anything there. It was just an experiential body that was having experiences. And now it's gone. I can start over again. <laughs> That's yeah. all I'm saying. Having experiences just for the sake of having it. Well, to be aware. In other words, all the stuff we were discussing, in other words, are you aware of your projections? Are you aware of your fears? Are you aware of your concerns about what your, your spouse is doing, where it came from? Are you aware of, of how to resolve that? Are you aware of the fact that, that there are issues in the command and control structure as opposed to the Are you aware of any of this stuff? Just so that you're aware of it. That's supposedly our job, is to be aware. Not make any of it wrong, not make you wrong, not make everybody wrong, not make the spouse wrong. Yeah. Nothing is ever wrong. Yeah. It just is. And if you want to make it wrong, okay, fine, go ahead. Then you're gonna have an experience. Are you now aware of the fact you're having an experience because you made it wrong? You see the point? In other words, yeah. every step is another choice point to see that you're making it up, that that's either important or it's wrong or you're wrong or they're wrong. It's just happening. Mm -hmm. Are you aware of that? Yeah. Are you much of a meditator? Yes, but more of a structured way. In other words, there are two meditations that Sadhguru teaches. One called the... What Isha. was the name? Sadhguru. 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 The, 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 the guy in India. Yeah. He's got one, and the first level is called the Isha Kriya, which is basically literally sitting there, you know, going through, and he repeats the words over and over, and you just, it's like 25 minutes long. Okay. I am not this body. I am not this mind. I am not this body. I am not this mind. The point being... This body, clearly when I was a little baby, wasn't this. This became from what I ate, how I exercised, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And so at the end of the day, it's not me. It's just a meat organ within which, you know, the vehicle within which I, the spirit, exists mm -hmm. and experiences the world. Yeah. The mind, again, is just an accumulation of experiences. Your experiences are different than mine, therefore your, your mind is different than my mind. Neither of them is wrong, it's just an accumulation. If you see it as an accumulation, then, going back to your context versus content, realize that, oh, I don't need that anymore, or I don't need to be driven by that anymore. So you deconstruct all of the fixed perception of who you are or what you are. That's the number one. And then the morning is more like a 30-minute process of just doing sort of some yoga moves and some what's called fire breathing and... And those nice. things that just really sort of like attune. Prime you. Right. It's called the, the uh, Mahamudra, the Shambhavi Mahamudra. So yeah. those are the two primary things. But okay. during the day, I'll, I'll just sort of like zone out and, you know, just sort of meditate. Daydream a bit. Right. Just, yeah. just to sort of realize that whatever is, I, I told you my concept of the mosquitoes. In other words, all the things coming at me and you just meditate, it's just meditate get rid of the mosquitoes yeah or is what am I trying to do it's the idea you know follow the Tao let the universe take care of the how follow the Tao, Tao. Tao right yeah just let, let it flow like when you're in Mexico in the forest yeah that's the Tao yeah you don't make it a forest it um, is decide when the birds chirp I don't decide when the wind blows the right. rustles the trees or right. You're the coconut just, falls. You're just paying attention. Yeah. I have a question for you because my my understanding of your work is you spent many years in the investment space, um, and then from there 
you had an experience that made you decide that you wanted to use finance, you wanted to use economics, you wanted to use investments to make a difference in the world. Right. And then that led to, I don't know how many decades and how many projects and how many different social impacts that you've had in those years. So I, I was wondering from, you know, if, if you don't mind sharing, if someone asks you, what do you do? Mm. Or what do you do in your career? What do you usually tell them? Try to fix things. In other words, it started out, I was a lawyer and getting into the marketplace at that time, which is basically the early 70s, it was just trying to fix real estate problems. Fix real estate, okay. Right, and they were usually large public companies, so they were major issues and major yeah. projects, but you had to organize them, I was good at organizing. So in essence, it went from that, and then it sort of dawned on me over 10 years that there was something more, there was the, the finance part of it. Okay. And so I got an MBA and got more into, oh, then I fixed the financial problem. Then it's gonna go away. <laughs> you can imagine that didn't work either. And so at the end of the day, I was constantly trying to fix something. And little by little, I started getting deeper and deeper in trying to find out what exactly is wrong. Was something wrong? I, I, I had this constant feeling of impending doom. Oh, almost like a like a dread. Right, like like what's going on? And it, it's like being in a canoe and you can hear the the waterfall ahead, oh, but you can't see it. Yeah, you just know it's getting louder and louder. That's right, and yeah. so you you keep thinking that you're going to fix whatever is causing that noise. Sure. And little by little, I kept getting sort of deeper into the question of. What is what? Is, what am I afraid of? What what's causing this? And I can remember being very much in what I would call a traditional church environment at that time. Sure. In a congregational church, it's sort of like a whole, almost a non-denominational thing. Okay. But I was the head of the diaconate. I was doing all the kind of goody two shoes type of stuff. Nice. And then the church kicked out the minister that we all loved. Wow. And it was the typical, not typical. It was a situation where literally the assistant minister was pushing out the senior minister. And I literally had a conversation with them. I thought in churches or in religion, you're not supposed to judge. Well, it's different for ministers. Hmm. And I'm thinking, different for ministers? I don't, I don't really understand where that, where that comes from. Yeah. And I, I actually read, there was a post part of a book called uh, Further Along the Road Less Traveled, where the author. Further Along the, the road, road Less, less Traveled. Okay. Yeah, Scott Peck. And he basically was giving you a copy of a uh, a talk that he did at the American Society, Psychological Association, okay. about the psychologists actually understanding what their perspective was on religion, realizing that there are four stages. Because if you're from one perspective and not realizing there are other perspectives, you're going to have a difficult sure. understanding where your your client, your patient, is coming from. And his was: you start out agnostic, or you don't know anything. Yeah. Then you become generally fundamentalist. In other words, I found the answer. Sure. Then something goes wrong, and you realize that wasn't the answer, and it's what he calls a skeptical level. Yeah. And so somehow a, a you, doubt introduced. Right. Yeah. And then you move into ultimately what he calls mystical, which I think is kind of a, a big leap. But at the end of the day, those are the four things. What had happened when they kicked out the minister was. I don't trust this anymore. Sure. There's something wrong. And that's yeah. where I got into A Course in Miracles and you know the unity versus duality and you, you, you've got this sort of capacity 
to, in essence, realizing that you're creating the problem by seeing it as a problem. Yeah. You know, and especially as it relates huh. to relationships, they have a term that they have in the Course in Miracles called special relationships. And they were saying bad news. And the point there being, if you see duality, there is that there's a problem, in other words, if there's an other, then you've got to defend yourself against the other. Sure. And so if you get into a relationship because you think that by being together, you can better defend yourself against the other, that's not a constructive way of being in the world. Yeah. You know, and so those kind of things sort of led me deeper and deeper into more of sort of a spiritual path, but still trying to fix things. Yeah. You know, which you can't be trying to fix things and be in unity. In other words, if you're trying to fix something, there's an other, there's a problem that you got to go fix. Yeah. So just to backtrack then, so it was like primarily, uh, you know, business focused, problem focused. You had this experience at church, which made you realize that, you know, there was a level of skepticism introduced, a level of doubt introduced, and you started to take a more spiritual path at right. that point. Right. How old were you, do you think, when that, when that happened? Um, I was probably in my 40s. Oh, wow. So you already had a pretty... Uh, you know, pretty broad experience and career in the finance right. industry, right? Right, right. Yeah. Because keep in mind that wow. when I'm fixing things, I go in like a general counsel or whatever sure. to a company, a public company, yeah. and you're doing that for six months to a year, and then sure. you go to another one, sure. and then another one. So sure. you, they pay they pay good money to solve problems in the business world. Yep, yep. So now you've had this kind of more spiritual awakening. Um, one thing that I noticed about you is that you're very curious, really? right? You're always learning, you're always growing, you're always you know, researching something or reading some book or checking out this philosopher. And so I'm wondering uh, for those that are listening that maybe don't value curiosity mm -hmm. as much as you do, like where did that come from? And how can we cultivate that in ourselves, right? Because we have a conversation and people say this about me where they'll say, you know, you, know, you, you just told me 15 quotes in the last hour and I have that experience of you, except for so broad, right? And this, like I'll do 15 Jim Rohn quotes because I went really deep on his philosophy, but you're like, well, did you read you know, Sadhguru and um, you know, this philosopher and this physicist and the course on love and you have and the all system this, theory, you know, and all these, different, all these different references. And so for somebody that's you know, listening, wondering how to get a more broad perspective or how to change the way they look at the world, where did this kind of this curiosity stem from? Like, what was the source of that for you? I'm gonna say this in a funny way, but it's kind of like failure. Failure. In other words, yeah. every time, I literally approach reading books to figuring out how it's wrong. Hmm. In other words, not because I'm trying to make the person wrong, yeah. but because we have a pension, and I, obviously all of us do, to think that there is a solution, but we just haven't found it yet. And therefore, if we can find the formula, like attachment theory, sure. or imago therapy, or you know, fill in the blank, somebody's perception of how you fix relationships, the more you study it, or let's just call it the more curious you are, yeah. which to an extent is, is sort of like benefiting by reading a lot of books, because you know that this one you know, doesn't really fit the, what this guy said. Yeah. And then this one over here doesn't yeah. fit what the guy yeah, over some here mismatches. said. mismatches, yeah. Right. Each one of them has a basic fundamental value. But in a, in a way, it's a value that is disrupted 
Yeah, I mean, that's, that's an interesting proposition because like people will say, what's the point of having curiosity because I'm gonna find out that, you know, whatever I found wasn't the actual answer I was looking for in the first place. But it gives you another facet of the, of the diamond. It's got some value. I'm not trying to criticize and say that they were wrong in what they found. Yeah. It's just that they, they found one facet. What do you mean by the diamond? What is that? The perception in my mind is that each of us is an unpolished diamond. In other words, we have the ability to take light and reflect it out and project it into the world. Yeah. But it's dirty. Whereas there's a lot of mud or, or yeah. rough edges to it or whatever. Sure. And our job is to polish it so that it can come through. You know, the light can shine, shine through us. Sure. So do failures help you to... Yes, but understand that in my, my realm, failures are one step towards success. Yes. In other words, you can't get to the next step without realizing that this step wasn't the last step. Yeah. What's your definition of success? In essence, learning. Learning something more, but always knowing that it's not the end of the learning. It's just one more step. It's leading us to the next step and the next step and the next step. But leading us in the sense that there's, there is no only step. There was a concept that, that having a perspective is both a learning process and a limitation. Because if you take a perspective, in a way, you then have to expand on it, limit yourself to it, organize around it, test it, ultimately yeah. realizing that it wasn't really the answer. It was just one part of the answer. Hmm. And how does, how does this concept relate to what you're doing now. So you had this experience where you, you started to explore your spirituality mm -hmm. and that was when you were in your 40s. So now we're missing like there's like a, I mean, and there must have been tons of experiences before that and tons of experiences after, but now you're 73, right? 74. 74? Right. Okay, <laughs> so 74. Uh, my dad was just here and I know how, how much he, he likes spending time with you. He's, yeah. My dad's 79 now, but both of you guys look great. So. Uh, that's a lesson for the audience here to take care of your health um, so you can do things like this and impart wisdom uh, onto the world from your life experience, this breadth of experience you've had. Um, so now you have the spiritual experience mm -hmm. and uh, what, comes, what comes out of that? More experimentation. <laughs> uh, basically, experimentation. Right, and what, what I do right now is I basically work in the bank, banking industry, yeah. putting money into banks so that we can make this spread. What I've done in order to make that work is connect all of our deposits to charities. Yeah. And so that draws out of me the ability or the interest, curiosity, in knowing did that work? Hmm. And to the extent that it, I think eh, maybe it is, or, in other words, I get selective about what I want to, to produce. And more and more, I'm, I'm sort of being drawn toward dealing with experiential, emotional, growth as the fundamental aspect because I think we can all accept that institutional reform, you know, what I would call the red state, blue state concept, really never solves a problem. It just creates a more conflict and orientation between my, my way is going to succeed as opposed to somebody else's way. Yeah. And in, in essence, if we don't find a common way, you're really not, you're not achieving the point of 
whether it's this theory or that theory or this way of spending money or that way of not spending money. It's just, it, none of those are ever going to resolve everybody's perspective. The only way to do that is have a focus, and I'm gonna say this in the way that I'm studying it right now, always going back to curiosity, that doesn't work if you just focus on love and act from love as opposed to fear. You know what I mean? One of the books on my bookshelf is called The 17 Contradictions of Capitalism and the End of Capitalism. Mm. And what they're telling you is that the original reason that, that, that Karl Marx got involved in analyzing the economic system, he was a philosopher. He wasn't an economist, he had to learn that. Okay. But he was seeing an incredible level of, of the alienation, the separation that was occurring. Yeah. And he was trying to explain that. And the point of the 17 contradictions and always listing them is ways that you're creating more and more disruption, alienation, separation, sense of entitlement of this as opposed to that. <coughs> and as a result, we've got an institutionalization of alienation. In other words, we can sit here and have all you know the, the wonderful men's circles or this, that, and the other thing and wonderful experiences of kumbaya, but if your whole system is basically embedded in a desire and a benefit from alienation, you're gonna have a problem for a long time. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's a learning experience. In other words, I'm not trying to say that that's wrong. Yeah. It's just the means by which we get to see it. In other words, if we don't see it and realize it's a choice point, in other words, if we have a choice as to whether or not we follow that, personally, forget about it for the rest of the world. Yeah. In other words, don't make them wrong, they're just teaching us. Mm. So at the end of the day, that process Alienation is teaching us the value of connection. Yeah. I mean, your own work, you know, is a perfect example of that. To the extent that you see that anxiety or, or alienation pulling people apart, yeah. you open up a men's circle, yeah. and voila, people are feeling better, feeling there's a connection, they're not alone. Yeah. There isn't a sense of, you know, the problem is all mine. Mm -hmm. You know, all I'm getting at is that we're learning by exercising our fears to realize ultimately that fear is in and of itself the wrong focus. And so you look for ways to express, I'll say it generally, love, but love being a sense of curiosity about how whatever is, is okay if you look at it as love. In other words, it's a tractor. In other words, if you love somebody, you're going to be attracted to them. Yeah. If you are afraid, thinking, think of fear as an attractor state that gets you to determine, do you want that? In other words, even fear can be looked at as love if you allow it, curiosity, to teach you something. Everything yeah. has embedded in it its own cure, if you see that. In other words, if you start up, wake up in the morning thinking, if I'm afraid of something, let me look into that. What's the problem? And if you find it, generally speaking, there's going to be a gift in there that tells you, oh, if I do this or take this perspective, in other words, stop fearing it and loving what it's giving you as an instruction set, mm. then you solve the problem. Yeah. Not because you've actually solved, let's you say... You didn't do anything. Exactly. Yes, you, you just observed it. Like right. You said.
Right. Now you do have to act on it, mm -hmm. sort of like lean startup. You know, you, you've now got an assumption that this gift is gonna work. Well, yeah. you gotta act on that. Sure, sure. And that's just a step that's getting you <laughs> closer. Right, right. right. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I think, this, you know, it's, it's funny because, you know, after 73 years of experience of living, I could ask you a plethora of questions about tactics, like we could talk about contracts and we could talk about making money and we could talk about, um, you know, doing business and how to evaluate a you know a charity and whether they're worth investing in like how to become a great leader like how do you make better decisions like there's just so much breadth that we can get to but i find myself most attracted in this moment to talking about this philosophy right mm -hmm. of like this metaphysics right because i'm living my life and i'll just give you a personal example so that we could we could discuss it for me and maybe we could talk about for your life as well and how you apply it but um you know the stories that i'm telling myself in 2014 I injured myself in the gym, hurt my back, hurt a bunch of stuff, never healed it, right? Went into um, making money, being successful in, in you know, my career, um, you know, being successful with women, these kind of like external factors. But I never really healed what I had injured in the first place. And I think a lot of that injury came from a place of insecurity from a place of ego, um, doing things for the wrong reasons. Um, so that happened. All these years later, never fully healed, never fully recovered, which is why I can't look at you perfectly. And right. it's like kind yeah, of a weird tension, kind of a weird uh, situation I'm, I'm going through right now. Um, 2019, uh, sorry, 2020 world was, uh, looked like it was falling apart, looked like the sky was falling. Um, everyone was wearing masks, businesses were closed. It was about to be the winter in Canada. So my roommate and I said, fuck it, let's get rid of our apartment and let's go travel the world and uh, kind of have more of an adventurous experience. And uh, part of my daily routine at the time was a workout program to try to work on some of the, the, the challenges that I was experiencing. I, I, you know, I said that was one of my commitments. Um, needless to say, I didn't heal from it and the workout system that I put a lot of faith in didn't seem to be working for me. Maybe I didn't work it long enough. But in July, sorry, in June of this year, again, the same, the same thinking that led me to injure myself in 2014 had me jumping off a cliff and doing a, a trick. Basically, I was an idiot and landing on my back. It was 30 feet drop. I landed on basically like cement. At that point, it was water, but it felt like cement. Um, and I spent two days in the hospital, and I, uh, you know, I come out of that experience, and now I can hardly move my, turn my head. Um, I don't want to hang out with people anymore because, like, I feel dizzy and nauseous, and um, you know, I, I spend like you know two or three hours every day trying to do movement so I can like you know build my strength back up. Um, and I, I, I have such a difficult time with not just being really frustrated and really annoyed and really pissed off and angry and saying like, why is this happening? Right? And like, like, like am I gonna get through this? You know? Mm -hmm. And like, and, and, and so the, the reason I wanna talk about the philosophy is cause like, fuck man, like, how do I, how do, how does someone look at whatever their 
version of what Jonathan's going through, which is, you know, a hardship of my life, a struggle of my life, and see it from the lens of, you know, this is love. Like, you know, like this is, this is something that was presented to me as a teacher with the intention of, you know, you're going to get through this. Um, you're going to be stronger as a result of it. And like go through the day to day fucking like I'm in the dirt and in the mud and like, I'm like not even sure if like sometimes I ask myself like, is it all worth it? You know what I mean? Totally. So, so like, how does, how do we take it when life just looks like so bleak and you said you were an experience of dread, right? Right. So it's like, I literally dreaded, I don't know if I would have made it through November. So we just did the month long book festival. I launched my book. People were looking at me from the outside saying, this must be the best time of your life. You must be <laughs> thrilled. And in the inside, I was just like, holy shit, am I going to make it through this? And I don't think if my dad didn't come here and literally fucking save my life, you know, he's, he's been that for me. So I don't know what that symbolizes. But anyway, he like came here and was just like, like, let me lean on him the whole month. And now he's gone. And so now I got to, you know, take care of it, take care of business. But like, how does someone look at that experience? Maybe you could share, you know, any experience in your life um, and say to myself, it just is what it is. You know, <laughs> it just, it, it just is, it's not good. It's not bad. It's not right. It's not wrong. I'm just going to observe it. I'm not going to judge it. I'm going to, and I'm going to work through it, work with it. Uh, you know, I'm trying my best to love myself and like come from that intention. I don't know what you got from what I just said, but I'm just wondering, you know, this, this, this philosophy. This, this, this is going to sound a little bit simplistic, but sure. like you're saying, let me sort of integrate it with an experience that I had. Back in 2009, I had cancer. Rectal oh, wow. Cancer. And if you know anything about rectal cancer, unlike like colon cancer where you can clip, clip out the part and just take it out and they sure. can suture it back together so yeah. there's no real impact. Rectal cancer isn't that way because you've got that chute that comes down that if you cut it, in essence, there's other than a bag, you know, a colostomy bag, you can't, you can't kind of like easily fix it. Okay. So I was resisting getting any kind of, of surgery. Sure. And which they basically say is suicide because there's no yeah. other way to get rid of it. I committed myself for a year to make sure that I got through that. I went to the holistic place in terms of changing my entire diet. Yeah. I went with intravenous vitamin C. I had psychologists that I was working with. Wow. December 1st of that year, they were doing a scope to see where it was. It disappeared. Remission, yeah. Totally disappeared. Wow. My point there, in, in between, I was focusing on, there's a woman, Louise Hay, she's passed away now, who talks about what body parts tell you. And the rectum while you were holding on to something. And I literally had in the psychologist's office a past life experience of my parents dying. It was, it was in Spain in the Moors time. And I was holding on to them as they were killed. I cried for like half an hour to that process. In my mind, that was the seminal piece that released that and allowed me to heal myself. Now, looking at yours, what Louise Hay would say is that the spine, in other words, your ability to deal with that, is the perception as to whether or not the world around you supports you. And isn't it interesting that your focus is, I've got your back. What is that telling you? That is a guide to what you're supposed to be healing. It's not your back. 
It's your perception that the universe isn't supporting you. Yeah. Feels like a dangerous place. Right. You know, there's a difference between paranoia and what they call pronoia. Paranoia is that there are all these horrible things out there and they're going to attack you. Mm -hmm. Pronoia is the belief that, that the universe is miraculously doing everything to support you in every way it can. Yeah. Einstein said that there are two ways to wake up in the morning. One, that the universe is a frightening place and you're, you've got to be afraid and defend yourself. Yeah. The other is a wonderful place with great opportunities. Yeah. My favorite guru kind of guy, Sadhguru, basically believes in inner engineering. That's what Louise Hay is saying. Listen to your body, see what's hurting, figure out what that's teaching you, and then move toward healing that, not your back. Yes, you can do the exercises, and I definitely recommend that, and obviously good, you know, just generally, you know, healthy eating and stuff like that. Sure. But at the end of the day, what needs, what wants to be healed is your perception. You know, making that not wrong, that you're trying to fix it. Remember my, my fixation on fixing things yeah. and a lot of experience with fixing things. But that's not what we're supposed to fix is here, you know, and, and here. In other words, our feeling, our sense of what's wrong and what's right. Because essentially, as you even admit, there's never anything wrong other than our thinking it is. Mm -hmm. And so that process is one that we just need to be aware of. Remember what we were discussing basically, what's our job in this universe? Be aware, yeah. notice, curious. Yeah. You know, don't think that there's some one solution, you know, whether it's your health or your back or your, you know, your speed or, you know, no, it's just be aware. And you in cooperation with the universe are going to create opportunities for you to see that over and over and over again. Yeah. Well, thank you. How's your back feeling? Feels <laughs> alright. Isn't that interesting that you focused on that which you sort of were attracted to? In other words, had an experience of twice. Yeah. Yeah, and like obviously many minor times in between right. like, that were more like kind of nudges rather than slaps right. in the face. Right. No, the universe will keep nudging you. Choking, totally choking quite, me out now. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so for those that are curious, you had this experience where you had cancer, right. right? And you made a commitment to yourself. You're like, I'm going to improve this. Right. Um, and you did all the things that you needed to do. In but, a cyclical way, just it was, that didn't necessarily work. You kept trying another, 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 another. Yeah. But the, the thing that, you know, I'm still curious about is that you did all these things, but you're saying that, you know, that part of your body represented holding on to something. Right. So how, how did that, how did that process of clearing that what did that look like? Like, so you said you had a, you were working with a psychologist. Yeah, and I've got to tell you, that wasn't necessarily, I was doing all these other things that were more what I would call medicinal, you know, eating and, you know, intravenous vitamin C and this yeah. kind of and the other thing, thinking that I was going to mechanically fix it. Yeah. And it was just because this psychologist was good and did some, what I would call spiritual questions that got me to sort of realize that there might be something associated with it. There was a Louise Hay part that got me to see I was holding on to something. And then when she actually took me to a place in my life where I was holding on to my parents while they were killed, it's like, wow, I've never cried as long and as deeply as I did that day, which to me was what I was looking for or what the universe was giving me in that opportunity. 
And it also gave me the point of being committed. So there was one of the books that I had read at that time was a woman had a problem, you know, her daughter had a problem and it was some kind of a, you know, total body sort of deterioration. In other words, like, you know, like boils and all these things all over her body wow. and she was deteriorating faster and faster. Yeah. She went to the, the hospital where she lived. She would not let anybody into that room that didn't believe that her daughter was going to be healed. Within a week, her daughter was healed. The doctors have no idea what it was that was done because wow. they weren't treating her in a certain way that, you know, they've basically given up. Wow. Yeah, that reminds me of just the power of belief and the power right. of, you know, the right. mind and the placebo, right. right? Of like, you know, Henry Ford, if you think you can or you think you can't, either way, you're right. 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 And that, that's, that's powerful because, you know, in the, in the medical model that we have today, the pharmaceutical based model, um, you know, it's, it's or surgery, in other words, they're going to fix sure. you. I mean, I literally had to fire, in other words, walk away from yeah. four different surgeons who wouldn't let me do this. Yeah, they were sending me threatening letters, you know, sure. certified mail saying you're doing this, you know, and we're not going to be responsible. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that no, that makes a lot of sense to me. Like, if they have they don't believe that right. that inside of you is what you need to heal, right? They're going to try to patch it from the outside, right? Right, when you need to go on the inside and, and to grow out and heal out. Um, so you did that from the inside. Right. So you had this experience of confronting, you know, this past experience you had of holding on to your parents. Right. Um, and then it was just the con confrontation of that that helped you clear that? Well, I'd say being aware of it. Yeah. And then the felt body experience of releasing it. Mm. Okay. And let me just say, give you a side story about psychology in general. There was a guy, Eugene Kedlin, at the University of Chicago, a psychologist, head of the department there. And he was asked to do a statistical analysis of what really worked. You know, was it Freudian or Jungian or Gestalt or fill in the blank. Yeah. And he couldn't find any statistical correlation. In other words, none of them were any more certain to, to result. So he flipped the study. He said, let's find somebody that it worked for, psychological counseling worked for him. Yeah. What happened? Yeah. And what he came to was now what they call focusing, which is that you basically get the person to look inside, actually sort of physically manifest what that problem is. In other words, it's, you know, inner child issues or fear of, you know, whatever. And talk to them. What are you trying to tell me? What are you trying to teach me? And when that would happen, in other words, they would resolve that issue, they would have this felt body experience, yeah. like my felt body experience yeah. with the psychologist, yeah. And it shift. Yeah, a little physiological... Recognition. Yeah. Right. Something's different. Right. Mm. And then you would be able to move because now you had the experience. And somebody didn't lecture you on it. Somebody didn't tell you that this was, you know, if you just, you know, take this pill or, or do this exercise that it's going to go away. No. You have a felt body experience of the change and the reason for the change. Or the reason for the problem originally and then the reason for the change. Yeah. The reason for the problem, the reason for the change. Right. Hmm. Well, yeah, this is something for me to continue. I'm going to have to listen to this recording <laughs> and uh, consider consider the ideas yeah. again, right? Because, yeah. Uh, that, interestingly enough, just to point out, I remember that quote, that Einstein quote, 
of two ways to look at the world. One, that it's dangerous and right, right. You know, you're going to wake up and things are going to be horrible today or that, you know, there's lots of possibility and there's right. lots of love and it's a safe place. Right. Um, my roommate, Ian, he's, he's very much, uh, if you read, you read the book, I talk about him a lot in the book. Yeah. He's very much like a um, devil's advocate player just for the sake of it, right? Just to, to, be, a little, to be a little, very spiritual, uh, to be very, um, you know, controversial in a way. But he said, he thinks Einstein's wrong um, that you know it's 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 not either or it's somewhere in between right, right. It's, you know it's sometimes it's great sometimes it's not you know sometimes there's love sometimes there isn't but um, but that really is the question and Alan Watson brings this up a lot in his philosophy where um, he talks about suicide as an example Which and he did yeah I mean that was a sad thing yeah he talks about he talks about suicide a lot and the way he communicated suicide was that one of the first things that people would do when they came up to him is they felt like they needed to, to end their lives. And he said the first thing he would tell them is that if you feel like you need to, you can't. And then people kind of, you know, had the experience before where everyone was like, no, you can't do that, and we can't do that. And so they felt like, you know, there was this like tension created, but when he told them that you have permission to do that if you want to, if that's what you really need, that they kind of like, let their guard down a little bit. Like, oh, okay. Well, if I, you know, if I really wanted to, I could. Right. And it took the pressure off them of feeling like they needed to. Right, but they had to fix something. Yeah. Somewhere they, they they failed at doing it, so I might as well go. Yeah, but he brings up this philosophy, um, Alan, of just like the only reason you would want to stick around is that you, if you felt like the game rules that were set up were in your favor, right, or that it was no. a it was a worthy, a worthwhile game to play, right. right? Or a worthy experience to have, right? Or else why would you be here? Because right. if it wasn't set up in a way that was in your favor, then why would you stick around? Right. Right. right? So that's like kind of like the inner inner engineering we're talking about. Is right. like the choice point, realizing that there's a choice. You you can come at it from the paranoia or pronoia point of view. The Einstein, you know, it's all a problem, danger, blah, 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 or there's opportunities. You can, you choose which way you're going to come at it. Yeah. 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 And uh, to, to bring back Ram Das in this conversation that we started off with, with becoming nobody, um, there's this guy that I met when I was in Guatemala and he was like pretty close with Ian because both of them like rapping. So both of them would like freestyle rap and this guy, Stefan, he plays guitar, um, great artist. He released a song recently called I Am Loving Awareness, yeah. and it's based off of um, Ram Dass's mantra, I Am Loving Awareness. Yeah. And I can send you the song, but it's basically uh, another artist called East Forest created a song, I Am Loving Awareness, and it's Ram Dass sharing this philosophy with music behind it. It's very beautiful. Um, you know, maybe talking about this, because this really ties in a lot of the things we talked about today, mm -hmm. which is... You know, you can choose love, or you can okay. choose fear, and the whole point of us being here is awareness and observation. Mm -hmm. And then here is Ram Das, who, you know, had had these experiences in India after the. Um, I believe it. He was part. He was uh, very close with uh, Timothy Leary right. in the in the Harvard uh, psilocybin right. kind of research days, where mm -hmm. you know there was a lot of promise for psychedelics, and then all of a sudden they went on basically. Dang the news and we're like, all right, kids take acid and drop out of school. And then, and then, then now this, you know, 
controlling father figure of the government comes in and says, nope, schedule one drug, no benefit, illegal. You're gonna be put in jail if you use this drug. So anyway, then what is Ram, what is, I don't even know what his real name was because it's not Ram Dass, it's his original name. But he goes to India and now he has these spiritual awakenings and he comes back and he says, I am loving awareness. As his way of tapping into his heart and as his way of, he, he says, embodying his soul. Mm-hmm. And uh, that kind of seems like we could use a little bit more of that I am loving awareness, right? Like all these things are happening to me, but how do I see it as, you know, it's all happening in my favor, right? right? How do I see it as you know, it's really an expression of love in the universe? But if you know a lot about his experience in India, that didn't come easy. No. I mean, he had to struggle with it, struggle with it, because he would judge the other people, the sure. other Americans that were there. Yeah. They're, they're bad, he's good, yeah. you know? And all I'm getting at is that even that simple statement isn't easy to wrap your arms around and really embody. Embody, right. Yeah. And let me just plug, you know, of course, their love for a second, because that's the whole point of, of the book. Become observable of that. In other words, don't necessarily get into this whole process. In other words, I don't want to make it sound like you have to read a thousand books to figure out what's what works and what doesn't work. It's just be observable as that. In other words, if you've got a choice, number one thing, realize you got a choice between the fear and the love. And then don't try and preach to somebody. Don't say, here's my opinion. This is the way you should do it. Just become observable yeah. of that. Yeah, it reminds me of a meme. Uh, one of my buddies, uh, I've done a podcast with him before. You might enjoy it, but he's actually grown a lot in his in his journey of communication, but also his understanding of spirituality. Mm-hmm. His name's Adam. We did a podcast together. Uh, he he posted a meme one time on Instagram, and it was basically me judging people for them being judgmental, right? <laughs> right? Because it's like, right. you know, I, I, I am loving awareness, but these guys aren't, yeah, so they're, right. fuck those guys, they're doing it wrong, and so here I am judging people for right. being judgmental. Right. And actually, so it sounds like, you know, I didn't know this, that you were such a Ram Dass fan, but I will send you that song. He also has another song called Love Everybody. Right. And he basically described his experience. He said the second visit to India, he had this, the, the guru like pull him aside and he said, Ram Dass, love everybody. Right. And, and he's tell like, the truth. And tell the yes. truth. Yes. Yes. He's like, Ram Dass, love everybody. And I said, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I have all these judgments right. of people. And then the, like, the song is beautiful. And then he comes back. And he said, Ramdas, love everybody and tell the truth. Even when you don't love everybody, just keep loving them and tell the truth. Yeah. Because you learned from that process. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, damn. Yeah, I had an experience recently where, uh, in terms of confidentiality, I'll just kind of like try to be a high level perspective. It was just like somebody made a decision that impacted my whole family. And at first, my first, like to be totally honest, like excuse for the language, I was looking at that person, I was like, fuck you for doing that because that impacts everybody in my family and it ostracized someone in my life that I love um, and made them feel horrible. Um, And regardless of what had happened that led to that experience, I was just like a big F you to that person. And then I had to come to the realization that I'm capable of those things and it's not that I don't love them. I'm just pissed off about the decision. 
right? So I love you and I'm gonna love you from afar. Right. So I don't know if, if you've, uh, you know, how you've been able to employ this love everybody, tell the truth in your life. I'm still working on it, you yeah. know, because there's an automatic sort of shutoff valve when you, when something happens, you know, that you don't like. Yeah. And to the extent that that shutoff valve goes in, you really get trapped. I was telling you earlier today about, you know, the situation in my company, in other words, where I've just got a shutoff valve that's gone on with, with somebody. And to the extent that that occurs, I'm really taking counseling mm. from somebody who's very spiritual yeah. about how to notice that that, that that aggravation is there because I'm not aligned with the perspective on how do I just love them and understand that somehow we're gonna learn from this experience or they're gonna learn from it. Yeah. In other words, just hold them in your, your mind lovingly. And, and unfortunately the ego has a way of kind of overriding that a little bit. Sure. But you have to keep practicing it, keep, keep trying. Yeah. So there isn't just like one Oh, I'm always going to do that because yeah. it's going to keep coming back up. Yeah. And but but that's sort of like, to me, that's the difference between the collective consciousness and our own personal consciousness. We can be clear about the fact that we want to be that way. Yeah. But we've got to realize that we're sw swimming in a water of not that. In other words, that, that there is still judgment, there is still alienation, there's still lack, lack of connection, and so we have to sort of like be willing to flow with that, but keep making the decision you're gonna come from love, you're gonna yeah. see the benefit, you're gonna be curious. Yeah. Don't get fixed in a perception that that's the only way to see it. Yeah. Hmm. And I wanna, I wanna just segue into kind of this last, this last uh, segment here about this course of love. Mm -hmm. A right? course of love. A course of love, it's not your book, it's a, right. it's a experiential book, right, where they say it's the end of learning. Right. right. This is another. It's supposed to be the sequel to a course in a course in miracles. A Otherwise, course in miracles. It's a channeled book. Supposedly, Christ channeled it oh, wow. in order to to express what's next. In other words, basically, sure. simplistically stating, a course in miracles is about unity versus duality. If you see duality, then you're creating something you have to defend yourself against. Sure. And so that's the functional aspect. That's sure. the mind aspect. That was that was channeled to two psychologists. So at the end of the day, like probably. 40 years later, A Course of Love was channeled to somebody and they were basically saying, A Course of Miracles was a training, mind training process. This is now an experiential process to, in essence, experience the effect and become observable as the effect of choosing love over fear. Hmm. Would you recommend those books? Absolutely. Yeah. Actually, a little bit more A Course of Love only yeah. because of the fact that it's, it's, it's telling you this is the end of learning. Yeah. You're just going to experience it and then become observable. Yeah. You don't have to teach anybody. You yeah. don't have to just be it. Yeah. And I think this is valuable uh, context for the listeners that you've read thousands of books in your life. And so to say, I highly recommend a book. I'm sure you've read hundreds of books where you're like, yeah, yeah it kind of fell flat. Um, each one leading you to lessons that help you get to the next book. Right. Absolutely. So that has value, but here's two books, a course in miracles, a course in love, that are highly valuable for you. Right, right. And so now, you know, the way, the reason we're related is because Tabitha Rose is the creator of Life to Paper, which is a book publishing company. And in 2020, I did a public speaking contest where she was the judge. And as the winner of the contest, she gave me a prize, which was a consultation for book publishing. 
So uh, we were here in Miami because we published the book and that was the, the, the reason that I was here was to do the, the publishing and the launch of the book, Miami Book Fair. And you know we had this great experience and I met you. And so now you two are related and I know it was like a, a chance encounter walking on the street. So there's a synchronicity there. Right. And the reason I brought this up is because you had a, she had a dream. Right. Tabitha had a dream that she, she was meant to create something. She was, she was meant to write a book on love. Yeah. And in essence, I then had an experience of saying I was supposed to, because I'm creating a school of love. Yeah. And so I was supposed to write a book on love, wow. but do it with someone. And she looked at me and said, oh, wow, I've had that dream too. Let's wow. do it. <laughs> Amazing. So as, as uh, with all the projects that you have going on, mm -hmm. everything in your personal life that you're working on right. and that matter to you, yeah. all of the learnings you're doing in the world, mm -hmm. where does a book on love and the school of love how does that interlace itself, interwove itself into everything else that's going on in your life? And like, what are the next steps for you to actually make that happen? Like, what's the philosophy underlying these, the book and the school? And uh, if people are interested in learning more about it, what would they, how would they? Well, it may take a long time for, for them to see the book on love, but sure. at, at the end of the day, they interweave because I've literally done analyses. In other words, my own sort of systems analysis to realize that the solution, what I call my 500-year plan, 500 years, wow, is to, is to basically embed the, the the ultimate fix is that people have to learn love mm -hmm. and experience and express it, and to me that's why a course of love is the most practical one because they don't say that it's something you have to study or organize or outline or whatever, you know, just become observable of it, and so that's what I'm using the school of love and the book on love, on love to try and articulate. Mm -hmm. Because obviously with all the books that I've read, I've got different perspectives, different ways of looking at things like love. Because to an extent, even your experience or my experience of having a serious physical ailment yeah. that is going to bring you to a higher level of awareness in life, that's love. The universe loves you, loves me. It wasn't trying to hurt us. It was trying to give us a way to become more aware. And that, according to my studies in Kabbalah and everything, is the whole purpose of life. We're not making things happen. We're the ones that have to be observable and aware so that we can know it. Know that we've got that choice point. Know that we've got that opportunity. Know that we've got the ability to do the inner engineering. Once you start to do that, it's never ending. You just have to be open to it. Don't don't keep making it wrong. Whatever whatever arises, love it. Because there's no you're not gonna get anything out of other than that. Yeah. There's actually a Stoic philosopher Apicetus, and he says, Do not wish for life to go the way you want it to, but instead to wish that however it goes, that's exactly what you wanted it to be. Right. And to love that however it goes, that's how you wanted it. Right. That is a very challenging objective. Mm -hmm. but, but in essence, that's to me what the curiosity fills in. In other words, that sounds like, oh, easier said than done sure. type of thing. In other sure. words, that sounds... Yeah, I am loving awareness. Easier said than done, like sick. Right. 
But at the end of the day, unless you fill it in with experiences of it that it worked or listening to other people that it worked and listening to you know the, the, the fact that that's a possibility, that to me is what both the School of Love and the Book of Love is going to try to explain. In other words, that that really works. And if you trust that it's going to work, which is the Tao, there was everything moves with the Tao. And if you stop fighting the Tao, which is the basic underlying why wish that is some other way, whatever is, is, you can't change it. You know, yeah. you're going to change the weather, you're going to change the politics, or you're going to change the economic system. What are you going to really change? What if, what if you didn't have to change any of it? You just looked at it all as a learning experience. Then you get to find the learning experience because it's there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you. Absolutely. And uh, the the book on love, we're looking forward to it. Yes. The school on love. School I, of actually, love. We're looking forward to it. I've I've, I've started a three month sabbatical. Yes. Just to be able to stop for responding to the mosquitoes out there. Sure. And just focus on. How do you do this? How do I write this book? Yeah. How do I express it in such a way that people can understand it? Yeah. In a variety of different ways. In other words, it's not just going to be one principle. Yeah. It's going to be a variety of different ways. Amazing. Yeah. Well, um, my plan in the next three months, I know you're going to be on a three-month sabbatical, is to be in Mexico. So I don't know if Mexico intrigues you, excites you at all, but I know that there is a friend of mine that's going to be in Mexico, and we're going to be hosting a lot of um, experiential uh, containers okay. where the intention, the focus is connection, right? And so maybe you can bring some of this course on love philosophy and this school of love philosophy and the book of love philosophy and bring it to Mexico. I don't know if you're open to that, but I'm absolutely open. Okay, to great. I've got nothing else to do. Amazing, man. <laughs> That's brilliant. Well, thank you for for this. Thank you too. Is there anything else that you wanted to share? Anything on your heart? Any message that you feel uh, would be useful for the peoples to contemplate or consider? And I know that it's impossible to get through 73 years of breadth um, uh, and depth in one 45-minute session, but we'll have to do another one. Mm -hmm. Of course, um, you know, if, if there's anything else that you want to share, just that's top curious. of mind. Just be curious. Don't be assume. Curious. Don't assume that what you think you know. I should be afraid of this. I need to do this. It's all this. No. It just stay curious, stay open. And again, don't try and sort of make anybody or anything wrong. You heard it here. You heard it here. Stay curious, right? Don't make anybody else wrong. Just observe it and see what you can learn from it. Observe it, see what you can learn from it. Come from that heart space, that love space. Appreciate you, man. Thanks for doing this. Uh, I got a lot to reflect on after this po <laughs> after this podcast. So, but my back feels pretty good, actually. Good, good. Yeah, yeah. The world is a safe place for me. Mm. Yeah, and it's going to support you. It's going to support me. The world is a safe place for us, and it's going to support us. We are taken care of. Till next time, don't man up. <laughs> Come together in community. Love your people. You don't have to struggle alone. You're not alone. Come together in community. And uh, until next time, don't man up, circle up. There you go, dude. Great. We did it. I have a sense from watching you that you really got that message for your back. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's different, for yeah. sure. Because to me, that's, again, the universe is talking to us.
Just watching are you listening? Yeah. Yeah, I wonder so that was that's the kind of the, the bit for me is you you had to acknowledge that you had that experience. Right. And then you had to clear it. Right. So for me it's like, well what was it that made me think what was it that created this perception or this belief or this way of looking at the world that it's a dangerous place? Like, where did that come from? I think we can at least accept that it's possible that that's something that we came here with. In other words, I, I, you know, like I've used that term, imp impending doom. I've had that in my mind since I was like 10 years old. Yeah. So my point there is that I do believe in past lives. I do believe that we choose our parents and our circumstances as a means to get to a learning. But to the extent that that comes, it isn't necessarily, I mean, I, I trust that just watching the nightly news sure. can tell you that, that, you know, it's a dangerous place in the world. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not saying that you have to have it from ten, 10 generations or even your parents or something that teaches you that, but I'm just saying that it's inherent in the air right now. Yeah. And when you were born, it was inherent in the air. Sure. So in that sense, you don't have to sort of take some credit or, or, or fault yeah. that you created it it's more the sense that you become an example of it go back to observable in other words your ability to become observable as dealing with that let's say that in the next year it's completely gone and you have no sense that it's coming back wouldn't you love to sit there and explain that to somebody and, and you see what i'm getting at now you become observable that you understood that and got rid of it yeah and part to me that's part of the point of the universe. You have to experience it, in other words, going back to Eugene Gedlin focusing, you have to physically experience it in order to communicate it. Mm. Yeah. And you're the tool, yeah. you're the vehicle through which the spirit is working. Nice. Thank you. Yeah, good. That's awesome. Thanks, brother, yeah. for doing this. Yeah. I'm glad we met. I'm glad we met too. This Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the podcast. If you found an idea that you resonated with, first and foremost, write it down. Next, tell somebody about it. This is about, uh, this is not about the show, even though it's about the show, so we appreciate it, but this is more about you taking an idea, sharing it so that it sticks, and then you implementing these concepts into your life. Because if you're listening to hours of recordings, whether it's my show, anybody else's show, a YouTube video about personal development, and you are not applying the information, testing it in your life, experimenting, then you will not see change. And as Jim Rohn said, unless you change how you are, you will always have what you've got. So make sure that if you found an idea here that you liked, you write it down, you share it with somebody, you implement it in your life, and you see what happens. Try it on for a couple weeks, try it on for a couple months, experiment, see what happens. And if you found an idea on the show that you liked, please subscribe to the show. It helps us reach more men. It helps us reach more human beings with this philosophy of circle up. So do us a favor, hit the subscribe button. That being said, share this with your communities. Share this with your communities. Last but not least, thank you to you, Bill, for being on the show, for doing this. I appreciate your uh, mentorship in my life. You gave me a lot to think about. It's only been a few weeks since that conversation and my back is already feeling better. Uh, and that's like, not just like to say it, it's 
I have more range of motion, less pain. I know the world's got my back. I know I've got my own back and I know the people around me have got my back. So feeling good, feeling stronger. I appreciate you as a, uh, a mentor and a role model for the entire Circle Up community. And until next time, y'all, you know what to do. Don't man up, circle up.